Welcome to the Heavenly Banquet, where the hungry are filled with good things. I'm Charlotte. I'm Chad. Chad. Yes. There is some recent discussion around Judges 19. Oh, Lord have mercy. We got to stop immediately and tell people that if you, that doesn't mean anything to you. Don't just run to your Bibles and pick that up. Um, It is a story that self-identifies as the worst thing that ever happened. And it is. And it is a horrific story of sexual violence and murder and uh what I think we want to talk about is whether it's redeemable at all. Yeah. Uh, so the discussion around it was kind of framed as, you know, it's in the Bible. You have to deal with it. I personally, I question that. I question it on that particular text for sure. And I question some other places in the Bible that maybe just describe something absolutely awful and horrible and uh, what it even could mean to deal with those passages. Yeah. Well, that's a horrible, Judges 19 is horrible. I'm of the opinion there are some things in the Bible that are just worthless. Mm. Um, that being the prime instance, there's has no redeeming qualities. And if you try to you know, get a moral out of it or some, um, the moment you seek to find some supposed validity in a part of it, uh, some teachable content, you give some sense of justification for the narrative as a whole. And it's a horrible narrative. There's just nothing good about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think there is this assumption if it's in the Bible, then it it must have value. And I just don't agree with that. Yeah, I think there's, if the, let's say if the goal maybe of preaching and teaching of, of investigating scripture is to lift up the love of God or the love of neighbor. I, th- I think there's some places, I think Judges 19 is one of them where that's not going to be found, where that investigation is not going to yield any fruit. Uh, and it's not a, it's not a question of translation. And it's not a question of the historical critical method or some kind of investigation of the text that, like you say, is going to get you to some moral application. Uh, It's just an ugly, horrible story. Right. Maybe the best we can make out of it is that it's a harrowing description of human sinfulness, of the extremes to which we will go, but uh, that needs to be redeemed by somebody else, not not us. Yeah. I mean, I consider that chapter proof that the scriptures are not perfect. <laughs> mm. Say more uh, about that. Well, I just think there is this tendency to treat the scriptures almost on par with God. Mm. Um, 
I mean, again, the assumption seems to be if it's in the Bible, it must have some redeemable value, something to say about God and humanity and creation. I don't see why that should have to be the case. I mean, scriptures are the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ and God's plan of redemption through Christ. But what is what's necessary for the scriptures to serve that function? I mean, they're basically functioning as a witness. Um, do they have to be perfect? That is without error. I don't think so. I mean, first of all, the tradition holds, and I think scripture kind of bears this out too, that the scriptures alone are not sufficient. That in and of themselves, they are not sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have the witness of the divine spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were sufficient in and of themselves, you would just read it. And as soon as you grasp the meaning, you would understand and have faith. And that's just not how it works. Right. But I also think, well, we can talk about the early church. Okay. They, I, From my reading of early church folks, particularly Irenaeus, because I just read them, is against heresies last week. I mean, the idea was they had a rule of faith and that um kind of guided what they understood as scripture new testament scripture or not Mm -hmm. um, to a certain extent and he even relates about you know um hearing polycarp compare what he learned from john the apostle with the gospels and the epistles Mm. you know Mm um But but beyond that rule, and of course, that rule of faith was mostly Christological and, you know, God Almighty Creator, that kind of stuff. But the other rule of faith is love. Right. You know, love of God, neighbor, love, loving one another as Christ loves us. And if there's anything in the scriptures that doesn't work towards that or works against it, it's not worth our time. I mean, origin. Here's somebody in the early 200s in the fourth book, first chapter of On Principles. He has this exhaustive discussion where he talks about the difficulties of trying to take all of Scripture literally. He talks about, you know, the first three days of creation without sun, moon, and stars. How can there be light? Mm -hmm. He talks about, you know, God planting a tree that if you just eat the fruit, you have abundant life or, or you participate in, in good and evil by masticating something you picked off a tree. He's like, well, fool, only a fool would try to take that literally. Right. Um, and so he says we have to find meanings that are worthy of God. Mm. Um, but of course, to be fair, he would probably say everything in scripture has some spiritual meaning worthy of God. Yeah. I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to say there's some things like Judges 19 that are just worthless. Yeah. There's nothing good in them. They're traumatizing for some people who read them. Probably anybody who reads them. It's that bad. Yeah. That, um, and so back to my point, it's proof to me that the scriptures are not perfect. They're a sufficient witness under the influence of the Holy Spirit and in the context of the community. But they're a witness and, and they're good. They serve that function. But once we start trying to treat them as divine in the sense that they're um, inerrant and um, 
without error. Then we get into trouble. Then then we have two two entities in the universe that are perfect and inerrant. Mm -hmm. God and this book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's idolatry. Yeah. If not, you know, if you push somebody in the corner, you know, do you worship the Bible? They're going to say no. But if practically speaking, you treat it as if it's God and you hear people say, well, God said it, so I believe it. Right. Yeah. I, uh, that's, that's the place that's so troublesome to me was the kind of like, well, we have to deal with these texts. You have to, you have to sort through it and get somewhere. And who, who made that rule, you know? And uh, yeah, they can't all be equally, equally worthy of investigation, equally worthy of propping up of sharing and the tradition has affirmed that this is not a text worth sharing um because it's not in the lectionary and yes and we forget i think sometimes that like the lectionary is built on ancient practices i mean whole sections of that are set so early that's not a modern invention and it was set as a way of you know like what what texts are in it, what texts aren't, assuming that the people who are hearing the texts read and preached in worship are hearers, are not necessarily insiders yet, that this is uh, an exposition of the faith to people who may be new to it, you know, and you don't reach for the most traumatic thing in the Bible as something to introduce, you know, and yeah. we're kind of wondering a step further, or you're saying, you know, not only is it not worthy in that context, not may not be worthy in any context, some of these texts. Yeah. I mean, so what other ones come to mind or do any? Uh, some of the instructions around slavery. Yeah. Uh, come to mind. Um, some of the instructions around genocide <laughs> come yeah. to mind. I mean, we don't yeah. pick those up and go, "How do we make this happy clappy? Like, how am I going to teach this to preschoolers or something?" You know, we just yeah. we do look at some of those things and go, it, it, "You know, okay, it just is what it is, and it's a different time and place, maybe or something." But you know, we tend to kind of skirt over those. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure about the inclination to do a deep dive investigation of like this text. That's, I mean, that's what immediately comes to mind. I mean, you know, you know what? I'll throw in the you know, some of the patriarchal household code stuff that we have in the epistles. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I, I, see, and I know what's going to happen is I could hear, I could hear people going, "You're, you know, picking and choosing your own canon." Um, but yeah, doing- we all are. <laughs> but, but you're doing, doing it according to I think I'm I think according to the law of love and at least right. the law of not doing harm to other people. Right. And certainly not doing them the spiritual harm of some abuse from that text that's going to keep them from the faith. Um and, and that's not to sugarcoat it. I'm fine with there are hard texts, there are hard sayings about money and wealth, there are hard sayings about the way how we're to live the Christian life. There are hard sayings about the fact that this path is going to lead to adversity. Yeah. Uh, 
something that shying away from that. But the texts that just describe extreme horrific violence, I don't I don't know what the point of introducing those to people would be. It's like just going to the newspaper and only reading you know, tragedies. The most horrific things you can find for yeah. no other reason. Yeah. But, but let me try to squeeze a moral out of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I there's just, that. I think there's some things that we can't make sense of because they're literally senseless. That's, yeah. and that's, that's okay. And it's a fruitless pursuit. It, well, it's not, it's more, as you say, it's more than a fruitless pursuit. It's actually an abusive pursuit to the one who's pursuing it who's trying to claim that it has some worthiness who's being exposed to it and the people that they're ultimately sharing with we're not reading that text on the podcast right now because i wouldn't you know and uh don't kind of even like mentioning it the way that it brings back just that book and that chapter the mention of it it's like the whole film plays in my head in an instant and i hate that you know um so to bring that experience to other people just why what's the point what are you what are you what are you hoping to win unless it is that idolatry or fetishization of scripture and that's it well it is i mean so you know when people start finally reading their Bible, <laughs> and, they, and they run across things like this, they're like, how can this be in the Bible? And that mm-hmm. kind of response alone tells me that they've been getting this certain narrative about how the scriptures function. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're shocked because this right. is the word of God. Right. Now, I know we've already done a podcast on how Christians equivocate over that phrase, word of God, but we no, worship. say it again. Keep preaching it, man. <laughs> we worship the risen living Christ, the capital word of God. The scriptures are, we, we call them the word of God, but they're the scriptures are not the same thing. You know, the scriptures no. didn't create us. They don't sustain us in our being. They didn't die for us, rise again. You know, they're a witness. Uh, but there's this tendency, which I think is maybe in some ways has been exacerbated in the modern era um, of treating the scriptures as if they're divine, literally uh, the eternal word of God. And that's, that's, and of course, as someone will say, well, then you don't hold the scriptures in high authority. Absolutely. I do. Right. Um, but there is a hierarchy. There's Christ. There's Christ who reveals God. So that's the hierarchy. The scriptures in conjunction with the Holy Spirit give witness to Christ. Mm-hmm. But they're not on the same. The scriptures are not on the same level as the living incarnate word of God. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And unless we make that distinction, this tendency to treat them as the same thing is going to show up. And I get it. I mean, people want their faith to be in a perfect book, but that's not how it works. Are there other passages that come to your mind that we aren't worthy of examination? Well, yeah, the whole, you know, going to Canaan and kill everything. Yeah. 
there's nothing good I can, you know, people try. Well, they were just evil. No, 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 no. The animals were evil, the children. Um, where, you know, God tells them to go in and slaughter everything. And then yeah. gets upset because they don't do it. Mm-hmm. That's uh, not compatible with the God revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, what do you do with that? Well, it depends on how you view, view scripture. You know, I see the scriptures as progressively, the revelation as progressive. I mean, when we talked about the afterlife in the Old Testament, there is no robust conception of the afterlife. That comes later. Mm-hmm. That's a progression of revelation. I also think God is being progressively revealed, but ultimately in the person of Christ. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, maybe the Israelites thought they were told <laughs> to go in and slaughter everything, but I'm just, I don't know. And I know even uh, scholars would debate me on that one, but I just don't think it's of much value. What, what argument are you going to make not to force you into the position? Of no, I mean, one. but that's, I think that's a an important question because historically the arguments that have been made around that scripture are arguments for further genocide, right? I mean, those are the scriptures that were appealed to for things like manifest destiny for the movement of, you know, indigenous populations in this country, right? You know, if this is the the promised land and the shining city on the hill, then it's, it's ours. It's been given to us by God. And the fact that they're, where people already here is inconvenient and we can treat them just as treat them as objects. Yeah. As objects or as, as lesser as something that's in, in the way of God's plan where we're yeah. prioritized and nothing else is. So, you know, what's been made out of these, you know, call them text of terror or whatever, but uh, has never been good. I don't think. Well, you have to add some ad hoc argument to explain them away. That's what yeah. you end up doing. Oh, yeah. Or you end up in a place where you're you just completely spiritualize them, right? So it's yeah. it's not about slaughtering Canaanites. It's about your inner demons or your temptations your or something like that. Yeah, which is what the early church interpreters did, right? You know. Uh, they recognized those were horrible passages. And stuff. so, yeah, they became about controlling your passions and slaughtering the things that keep you from living a virtuous life. Um, going back to origin, he brings up the command that any uh, uncircumcised male needed to be cut off. And he mm-hmm. says, just imagine some child not circumcised within the eight day period or whatever, them cutting off. He says, that's ridiculous. No mm-hmm. one should do that. Right. So, you know, and see, like you say, using the scriptures to justify all kinds of horrendous evils is partly to do with this inordinate way of viewing them. Um, Kind of the whole, well, God said it, it must be true thing. Yeah, because it's ultimately, if, if it is a level playing field, as they're making it let's if everything is as equally worthy of teaching and preaching then that allows them to prioritize or lean into some of these awful things Mm -hmm. which bear awful fruit um over you know the commandments about love and everything that stands in opposition you know to those particular 
uh, texts? Well, I've had discussions with people, unsurprisingly, on the Internet. And, you know, I bring up the issue. Well, yeah, but what about love? And they're like, yeah. And then they pull this random text out of the Old Testament that is horrible. Right. You know, take your uh, rebellious son who won't listen to you out in the street and have the elders stone him to death. Yeah. I'm like, are you serious? And that's the thing. As Christians, we ignore all of that. Even our evangelical cousins ignore those kinds of paths. They're not taking the rebellious kids out in the street and stoning them to death. So come on. Right. Let's not act like we don't ignore whole swaths of commandments and stuff. Right. Some of which should be, you know, ignored. So I don't know. I think you said on an early episode something I thought was really helpful about you know, if this, or maybe it was a blog post, but that, you know, whenever the scripture takes on a use other than pointing toward Christ, it's an abusive use. Right. Something's gone massively wrong. Uh, that that's another way of framing that test around law of love, rule of faith, but that it's, it's become a bludgeon you know, and that that's some misuse of scripture. And then here we're saying, it seems like a bunch of these texts can't be used any other way, uh, which is part of the justification of going, well, just, just leave them be. Yeah. I don't even see the need to allegorize some of these things because you're mm-hmm. just, like I said, the moment you try to, the moment you act like there's something meaningful in it, you give some sense of validity to the horrendous part of it. Mm-hmm. And again, what's the impulse to that? Well, it's a certain presupposition about the scriptures that I don't mm-hmm. think is is um, accurate or helpful. Mm-mm. They bring us to a knowledge of God and Christ. But once you have a, a, a general understanding, which is, you know, even children can grasp the law of love, then that becomes your interpretive key. Right. What would you say to somebody who's going to say, Oh, you're just picking and choosing your own canon then. I'm not, I'm only trying to pick and choose in the light of Christ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I really mm-hmm. genuinely want to understand, live and understand and live the, what I learned in the scriptures, according to what I know in Christ, mm. um, self-giving love, that kind of thing. So it's not just, you know, Oh, I don't like this. So, or this hurts my feelings or something. Right. Um, Because ultimately, (laughs) I am responsible to the living Lord. And how I use the scriptures, I'm responsible to the living Lord. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh Uh-huh. And I do think, you know, at least some kind of practical idolatry is a real problem when it comes to the scriptures. And I don't think um, our Lord who died on the cross for our sake is going to be impressed with the fact, but we thought it was inerrant. I don't think that, you didn't, you didn't catch the whole love part. And, you know, I just yeah. don't think that's going to fly in the face of a clear expression of love. I don't know. Maybe the thing to ask ourselves is would Christ do this or teach us to do this? I don't know. Is that helpful? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, can you imagine like Christ, the crowds follow Christ across the other side of the sea and he sits down on a hill mountaintop to begin to teach. And that's the story that he brought. 
Or commanding you to go into a city and slaughter everything? No. That's not my Jesus. Mm -mm. If, if I thought I was being commanded by God to go in and slaughter a bunch of people, I would have to question <laughs> its divine origin. Yeah. So why wouldn't I do that when I encounter it in the book? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.